Hi, and welcome back to All Things Data. Here we are in season three. We've talked a little bit about AI in certain industries and for certain applications, and we're gonna continue with that tradition for this season. Today, we're gonna be talking largely about AI and NLP and its use in fraud detection. So without further ado, let's get going. Hi, Victor. Could you tell me more about NLP and its use in fraud detection? Absolutely. So generally in fraud detection, you want to get to a place where you build like a cyclical or feedback loop of sorts that gets you better fraud detection as time passes. So what you really want to focus on in fraud detection, especially when it has to do with content or things that are readable by NLP, which is why we're here talking about this anyways, <clears throat> you want to um, start with the idea of understanding your text, right? So that ends up being uh, text mining or data mining or NLP, largely natural language understanding. So you want to have an understanding, obviously, of what the specific piece of content is saying to you and, you know, start understanding how it might relate to fraud, obviously. That will help you build up a sort of dictionary or a set of keywords or a set of outcomes largely where based on certain, you know, patterns in text and in content, you might come to believe that there's a signal for fraud. It's not for sure that there's fraud there at that point, but there's a signal that fraud may be present. And going from there and beyond so that you can start inferring on fraud, you want to do a really good <clears throat> exploratory analysis of that fraud dictionary and generally all of these sentences and content and text that occur in wherever it is that they may occur for you. You want to start modeling the world statistically in a sense such that you understand where fraud does come from and that will lead you to evaluation of your model so you end up in this nice little cycle of nlp text mining or natural language understanding building up this fraud dictionary and it may not be you this may just be in your modeling of course then you take it to real modeling obviously and you want to analyze in a statistical manner, whether it's Bayesian or just statistical, the actual fraud outcomes and evaluate. And as you might imagine, as you evaluate, you might ingest more content, more text, more possible fraud signals, and you want to tune that over and over as things go. Great. How is AI and NLP used in e-commerce when looking to detect fraudulent activity? Yeah, as you might imagine, e-commerce has been sort of like the big thing, especially once the pandemic hit. I mean, we all were sort of forced to shop outside of regular retail, right? We couldn't go to a store. Largely, we could get things delivered in some places through essential workers. So yeah, you want to make sure that, you know, with that new environment and that new paradigm, you don't get to a place where there is just nonstop fraudulent transactions. And that's something that all the e-commerce players try to protect against, you know, maniacally really, because a lot of the trust in e-commerce is trust that you will not face a fraudulent transaction or somebody impersonating your personality, something mm -hmm. like that, right? So in the world of fraud detection, there's a few categories in e-commerce. 
some of the big ones are bot detection. So you want to really start looking at whether or not the, the transaction that is occurring on your e-commerce platform is a true human or whether it's a bot. And that could be right down to actual shopping, putting things in carts, all that stuff. Or it could very well be a bunch of bots, you know, kind of surfing around your website. Maybe it's a competitor looking for competitive analysis or something along those lines. So there are many companies that exist that use machine learning, other tactics to detect whether or not you do see a bot come in. So everybody has faced the CAPTCHA thing, you know, tell me what is a truck, what is not a truck, tell me what is a stop sign, not a stop sign, that kind of stuff. And it keeps getting more sophisticated because AI gets better and can beat CAPTCHA. So then you have to make CAPTCHA more difficult. It's like this nonstop loop of trying to be the better machine largely, you know? So who is the better fake person there? Because CAPTCHA is trying to assert that you are not uh, a bot and you as a bot, if you are, are trying to make it believable that you're a person. So that really kind of solves a lot of the innocuous bot detection, let's say it that way. Then what you have is the denial of service and distributed denial of service attacks. You want to have a firewall or a point of entry system that allows you to detect these rather quickly and really understand the kind of normal usage patterns that your site would get and probably track them through time. You can then see that there may be this massive spike from some weird place like I'm just going to pick on a country like Azerbaijan or something. All of a sudden, you know, there's, you know, almost 20% of your traffic is coming from there. And you start wondering, why is that happening? I mean, you have to be paying attention. That's the first thing. But you would have AI or machine learning models that would detect this as well and be able to alert you of it. And then finally, the other thing that a lot of e-commerce will try to, I guess, battle against is sort of like geography based. It's not even a tax, but it's just usage. So you might imagine in a site where pricing is very specific to a region, you don't want to give the price away in some other region. Saying the US is very expensive is not obviously not shocking to anybody. And somewhere like where I was born in Zimbabwe is not as expensive. If you were to pretend to be in Zimbabwe and there was some, some e-commerce site that sold in both places, it's plausible that the price would be cheaper in Zimbabwe and you would see that price. So you want to detect these things and make sure that people aren't trying to skirt around the things that you put in place to protect your, I mean, this becomes your IP of sorts. Your pricing is your IP in this, in this world. You want to have those in place using AI and NLP as well. Some of the first machine learning actually that I ever came across or started working with was in this sort of geo-based and denial of service stuff as well. And we found at the time, a lot of the e-commerce bots that were trying to deny um, service really to put our, our sites down, were just coming from China. It was just like a very large, large bot network that was coming from there. And it wasn't constant, it wasn't persistent, but we would see it spike up every once in a while. You know, we weren't that important of a site, but we were on other people's sites. Mm -hmm. So they were going to their site and doing all kinds of stuff. So we were able to show that to our clients that, you know, 
there is like this pool of computers or bots that is trying to bring you down, but we're protecting you against that. Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, uh, many people have been shopping online more because of the pandemic. With that, a lot of people's minds are always thinking, is my information safe online? I'm constantly giving my credit card information to buy this item and that item. Does NLP and AI have an impact when it comes to customer privacy and information? So, I mean, that's a whole ball of wax. In terms of data breaches, that's very often up to the company's infrastructure people and security people. You want to, so I'm going to pick on a, a common, not a common, but a recent data breach that happened, which was just government of Canada. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. a big deal. Uh, it's a big deal that it happened, but it's right. not a big deal to talk about. You know, if they become the steward, let's say I'm the steward of your information, right? So I may have a massive database that includes a lot of personally identifiable information, which is critical to all kinds of impersonation and theft and whatnot, right? So people know that my business is that and they'll try to attack me. And by attacking me, there's many ways and many exploits that they'll try to get to, to gain access to that data and those databases. There's a lot of work that really should be done by me and me being, let's say me as a company, getting my engineers and my security people to really harden our access, our database and make everything as like insanely impossible to get to kind of thing. And that's a best practices thing. It's not necessarily what everybody does. Large organizations, small organizations, medium, it doesn't matter who it is. It often comes down to priorities of management, right? It's one of those things in the world that data breaches are much worse and get more attention paid to them when there's a data breach. So before there's a data breach or before there is this kind of event, you just assume, ah, no one's going to get us mm-hmm. and no one's going to come after us. No one's going to try to get our information, but then they do. And then like really at that point, it's too late. And that's the problem with housing this much data about people, you know, whether you're the government or a bank or an insurance company or who or telco, you have a lot of super pertinent information about people, you know, even my movement, you know, you know that, right? In those cases, those companies should be doing really good stuff. But at, at the end of the day, it comes down to what projects see the light of day in these companies and whether or not any kind of breach detection or basically like hack detention exists for them and what to do about it. Now, the world of AI and NLP can help you navigate that and and understand what is a breach, what is not a breach, what's normal access. But really a lot of it comes down to you should harden your systems and make it impenetrable to the point where like nothing is ever exposed externally. And if you have a lot of companies get hacked by not having their databases available online, but possibly by having like an API. So like an actual interface to your database available. And then one of the keys, so one of the tokens or one of the authentication keys or secret access keys, whatever you call it there, that gets found, breached or copied somewhere and is public. At that point, it's dead simple because you've just, it's like handing somebody the key to your house. It's like, come on in. Whether or not I have the best security system, you know, have a key. 
Right. So with the key, you're you're going to get in. So there's protecting that. There's protecting your systems. There's encrypting. And then yeah, in terms of detection and forensics after the fact, yeah, there's a lot of AI and there's a lot of modeling and and analysis that can happen. But really, this is something that really needs to happen way before you get to a place where you've been breached. How do insurance companies work with NLP to detect fraud? This is largely a heavily regulated, paper-heavy industry, right? So claims, even the retail side where you're applying for insurance, everything is text-based. And we'd love to believe that you go online and you click a few things and you fill out a few forms and now you have insurance. But most insurance companies, other than maybe some small niche, super new insurers who are in this like new innovative world, still want all this stuff backed by paper. You have claims. First of all, you have the application. You want to ensure that your applicants are who they say they are, have the, the history that they say they are. If this is like personal insurance or let's say automobile or house insurance, automobile and house insurance, you'll have a better or an easier way because their history comes with their license or their prior insurance. But with personal, I mean, whether I smoke or not, whether I scuba dive or not, or skydive or do other risky things can often be hard to discern if you're an insurance company. I'll just say no to all of them because I'm savvy and know that that is the way to get cheaper insurance. Mm -hmm. What you have is a lot of insurance companies have systems or people in places that will do a bit of applicant research. So while you're applying their back office, looking through many signals, including any past history they may have on you, if they do have a relationship, obviously that's there. But even going so far as to mine social media, look through the web, imagine anything that most people you would date or go on a date with would do. Insurance companies and people that you're applying to gain a service from, especially when it's monetary, is going to do that same sort of discovery about you, right? They're gonna look through your social media feeds. They'll find the five pictures where you're holding a cigarette and smoking in front of whatever, a club or a bar. They'll see the picture of you with the skydiving suit on, getting ready to go and maybe on a boat ready to scuba dive. So now you've just been found out and they'll either deny you full service. They'll say, nope, we're not insuring you, which is a big black mark or a big red mark. Mm -hmm. Or your premiums will just go through the roof. They protect themselves in that sense. I mean, they're all about risk and they want to make sure that they're as uh, risk neutral as possible. And that's by knowing what their risks are. The other way that they use AI and NLP is in the claim side. So doing a similar thing and looking for signals that may state why you have such a claim. I mean, it's insurance, so it can get messy. Imagine somebody's going through a divorce and they have to pay out to the other party. And one very easy way to pay out is get a bunch of insurance money. It's not an easy way, but it's a possible way. Get a bunch of insurance money and pay out the other party using that. So. You know, maybe you falsify a claim on your car getting stolen or wrecked or your house or something, something along those lines. So they would look for discovery and start to do sort of like the the private investigator type stuff. 
though you don't necessarily have to do all of that yourself. There's a lot of systems, platforms, and especially AI that's been developed to do that for you. And lastly, in insurance, what has been pretty, I guess it's pretty recent, but what's been happening a lot is the world of IoT. So I don't know that I necessarily consider that IoT is AI. There's some back and forth about that, but the world of insurance has been impacted by IoT insofar as actually with devices they would place in your car. And I'm not certain here if the first ones that of such is one of those devices for DUIs where you have to blow and make sure that you're not drunk or drinking mm -hmm. and then your car starts. But I mean, it's not that that's the only IoT or the only device that can start or stop your car, but now they even measure your car through your cell phone. So if you download an app for one of many insurance companies, the app is measuring, you know, acceleration through your gyrometer, through GPS and a bunch of other things. And it knows, you know, how hard you brake, how fast you accelerate, where you speed. It knows what roads you're on from GPS. So it knows if you're obeying the speed limit. It knows the times at which you leave your house, how often you leave your house. If you want to get the discounts that are possible by having these devices or by using the app, you then give up information about yourself. So if you're one to lie on those insurance uh, application forms saying, oh yeah, 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 I don't drive for business and I never ever operate as an Uber vehicle, you'll be found out pretty quickly if you have these apps on your phone. They're all largely based in the world of unearthing insights, which is a lot to do with applications of AI here. In the world of retail banking, uh, do they use NLP and in AI in their efforts to find fraudulent activity? Absolutely. One of the first big neural networks, deep learning models that I was ever a part of and deployed was actually in a bank about risk tolerance uh, okay. and risk appetite. So there it was really based on strictly AI, not really looking at NLP and those kind of signals, but it was largely looking at who's going to default on certain loans. Oh. I mean, pretty large banks have been doing this for, that's like five years ago. So for, you know, half a decade, largely, they've been looking to assess risk, especially in the retail world, as much as possible. The commercial banking side and the investment banking side, they have a lot more money and a lot more budget. So they're even further ahead in terms of uh, the AI used and, and the techniques they use. However, in retail banking, it largely is about usually risk tolerance. And that's a very nice way to look at fraud. But you're looking at how much risk do we have an appetite for? And how risky is this person? There may be opportunities for money laundering because you're talking about loans or disposition of, of assets. And you have to report all those sort of transactions as well. And just like in the world of insurance, so much of this is at the end of the day applied for. As you're putting your information into, the, into these applications, it's very possible and plausible that these banks actually do the sort of NLU understanding of the application to try and look for signals that may point them to fraud. So that's on the applied application of the retail side. Now, the other portions are more of the internal operations of a bank because there's often, you have a lot of 
actors in a bank. There's, you know, thousands of people in large bank organizations. And it just takes one person to be kind of naughty to cause, you know, the whole bank a whole bunch of backlash. So you want to have a system in place that allows you to detect uh, fraud that may also be occurring internally. Because that's stuff that will go sort of brushed under the rug for a very long time. If not actually brushed under the rug, but just it's hidden away just largely because you don't expect that your staff is the one who's committing the fraud. Although it happens quite often. One such example was, I think it was about six, seven years ago, there was like this huge debacle at Wells Fargo. The back office uh, of mortgage and loan applications was pushing through loans to make the numbers for the loan officers, right? So for the front of house. So the front of house was basically taking a loan or an application and maybe there was two parties on it and they were splitting it up into two loans or two applications or they were finding other weird ways to uh, apply for fake loans. Now, all of those applications, because it's done by the people who work at the bank, probably were like super solid, right? And then you're, you're thinking, well, how would we look at fraud here then? The thing that gave it away, had they done the analysis during this occurring rather than after the fact, was that there was IM messaging and email threads. And there's a lot of that going on. And the bank had access to those because, I mean, you're an employee of the bank. They can't read your emails. There's nothing, you know, untoward or odd about that, whether you like it or not. So they basically could have been <clears throat> watching for these kind of fraudulent activities at the bank using the communications that are going internally. So what that does for a lot of banks is it makes the executive team super exposed when something happens because realistically the executive team isn't watching every transaction as it's being done in, in a world of many thousand transactions per second, not per day. So it's hard for the executive team to really know every loan that's being parsed out and whether it's a legitimate loan. So having a system, especially, you know, an agent or an AI who's looking at these things and, and trying to understand when something is looking fishy more than anything, you know, it doesn't quite match the kinds of transactions you've had in the past or maybe the volume is high. You know, there's something that's weird about today's number of transactions or the kinds of transactions or what Bob is giving you in terms of their transactions. <clears throat> it gives at least your managers and their directors and their VPs, it gives them an opportunity to go look at these things, right? Mm -hmm. And in looking at them, you may find that there's actually some malfeasance going on, which you want to look at even further. And that's something that, you know, using NLP, obviously, because this is email and uh, communications, would be required to understand all that text as well. And then to really, you know, break it down and understand what could be fraud, what wouldn't be fraud. Yeah, so, I mean, really, at that point, you got banks internal and external using AI and uh, NLP for fraud detection. It's very good, very useful, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah, so today we talked largely about large organizations using AI and NLP in fraud detection. That isn't to say that this isn't useful or prevalent in smaller organizations. I mean, obviously there's small organizations in e-commerce, insurance, banking, all across, 
but I mean even different industries. So join us in the coming weeks where we'll look to talk about those industries and start to figure out how they may detect fraud in their world. This has been All Things Data for another week, and hopefully we'll see you back next week. Have a good week.